Wonderful, Nicole. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13 this morning. The Gospel of Luke, and we're continuing our series through the Gospel, especially looking at how this teaches us to be a servant of the Lord. And this morning, as I said at the very beginning, we want to talk about the importance, in fact, the very necessity, the essential nature of having insight as a disciple of Jesus Christ, rather than just living by sight. And we know even the Bible says, walk not by sight, but by faith. And it is that faith that really gives us insight, that spiritual vision to see what we maybe physically can't see, or to see the reality of something that's there, but that we can't touch it, we, we can't see it. And, and the reason why that's important for us is because Jesus declared to his followers, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, there's two aspects to the kingdom of God that is laid out for us in the word of God, the Bible. There is this present invisible aspect of the kingdom, and one day there's going to be a very visible future aspect of the kingdom that is coming one day. But for right now, for, for you and I, as it was for the disciples, some 2,000 years ago that lived when Luke wrote these words, it was still invisible. And they had to have insight into their king and into the kingdom that they were a part of or else they were going to get very discouraged. They were going to be left in great despair. They may even get to a point where they were totally disillusioned as followers of Jesus Christ. For, think about the context here of what's going on, and even how that can even apply to us today. Here's Jesus, the one that they are following, the king of their invisible kingdom as of yet, and yet he has no earthly power, no earthly position, no earthly prestige given to him by men. He even said, I don't even have a place that I can regularly lay my head uh, there's nothing about him or the kingdom that he's offering to people at this time that would be attractive to those that are simply walking by sight rather than by insight. And then you have the growing sort of tension and animosity that's building between the, the Jewish religious system that one day will literally call for his crucifixion by the Roman Empire, and you have a, a, a beginning of the Roman Empire that is starting to look at Jesus a little bit, say, suspiciously or, or with, with an eye of negativity. And you have these great you know, entities, the, the Jewish religious state and, and then the Roman Empire that rules the world, and you've got this little band of Jesus and his disciples. And you and I even, can, we can think even today as Jesus' followers, like, well, who are we in the midst of all these nations of the world and, and all these other things that are going on that's much bigger than us, and we can seem very, very small and very insignificant and very purposeless, uh, you know, in, in our, or helpless or hopeless, in how do we deal with this? How do we combat this? And Jesus wants to remind us it's all through our spiritual insight. The way we stay connected to an invisible kingdom is by staying connected to the king of that kingdom. 
And that comes through, again, the insight and the spiritual vision and the spiritual hearing and everything that, that God can give us through the Holy Spirit. Because again, just as Peter said, we haven't seen him, but we love him. We're not going to see him until we see him one day, either through our death or through him coming to get us, but we believe in him. And Jesus has to become real to us so that his kingdom, this invisible kingdom that is yet to set foot in a sense on earth visibly can be real to us as well because we are a part of this invisible kingdom. And Jesus wants to teach us about that kingdom and some aspects connected to that. So this morning, I actually want to begin over in chapter 13 at verse 31. And I want us to see a couple things about our king here that we can see that should help us. At that time, because again, there was opposition now mounting. The, the time of popularity of Jesus in his ministry was starting to wane. And more and more people were following, but more and more people were also coming against him. So some Pharisees came up and said to Jesus, get away from here, because Herod wants to kill you. But notice Jesus' response. He said to them, go and tell that fox, which by the way was not a compliment, look, I am casting out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I'll complete my work. A couple things. One, go back up to verse 22 for just a moment. Notice it says at the very end, Jesus was making his way toward Jerusalem. In other words, there was a very purposeful pursuit to the life of Jesus Christ. That was the goal. The goal was always, I end in Jerusalem. That was the will of God. Even though Jesus knew what was coming, he knew that rejection was coming and betrayal was coming and denial was coming and a crown of thorns was coming and, and a cross was coming and all of that, it was like, but I'm gone. And no one is going to stop me from fulfilling the mission that the Father has given for me while I'm here on earth. So when he responds to these Pharisees this way, he is simply saying in verse 32, I'm not going to be intimidated by Herod or by anyone else on earth. I am going to be unafraid, unflinching, and undeterred in following through with what God has given me to do. Oh, my friends, we need that same kind of commitment to our God today. To not allow all that's going on around us to keep us from being focused on what really matters. And what really matters in this life is not all the stuff that one day is going to be here and then not be here. What really matters is our king and his kingdom. And we need to make sure, like Jesus, that we are making that kind of a commitment to our king and to his kingdom. Because he was very purposeful. And, and you and I, if we're going to, to understand our purpose that our king has for us in his kingdom right now, we've got to stay connected to him and we've got to live like our king not being bullied, not being intimidated, not being afraid, not being deterred and distracted by what God has given us as our mission on this earth. I love what Jesus said too. He said, look, 
I'm doing all these healings and miracles to show everyone that I am the Messiah. I'm the one the Old Testament predicted. And oh, by the way, on the third day, very significant. What was going to happen three days from now? Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And Jesus says, on the third day, I'll complete my work. I love this. In the original language, it means I'm going to finish strong. Yeah, I'd say you're going to finish strong. You're going to conquer death. You're going to rise from the dead. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I, I need you as my followers to understand there's more to me than meets the eye. I may look to you right now like I'm just another human being, but I'm the king of the universe. And death cannot hold me. No, nothing has authority over me. I am the all-powerful God. And, and you need to have the insight to be able to see beyond what you can physically see because just as it was in Luke's day, his followers started to drop off because they started to see the opposition of the Jewish religious system, and they started to see the, the opposition of the Roman Empire, and it was like, well, these are bigger than Jesus. Jesus is just one, and, and then we are his followers, and we're just this small little band of, of ordinary people, and we have no earthly power or earthly you know, ability to be able to go up against the Roman Empire and stuff, and Jesus saying, See things with your spiritual eyes and realize that even when they put me to death, I'm greater than all this. And you've got to keep following me, even though it may look earthly wise, like everything is against us and we're so helpless and we're so insignificant. Keep your eyes on the king. Then he says, nevertheless, verse 33, I must go on my way. Do you see the purpose that Jesus lived with? Jesus, our king, wants to transfer that same kind of purposeful living to us today so that we can capture the purpose he has for us in this invisible yet very real kingdom that he's building right now through his people on this earth. He says it's impossible that a prophet should be killed outside Jerusalem, so that's why I referenced verse 22, I'm making my way toward Jerusalem. Now, that's the purpose we see in Jesus, our King. And Jesus wants us to understand that purpose that he lived with so that we can have purpose as we live too. But there's something else I see here, and that is the passion of Jesus for his people. And when you and I stay connected to our King, even through the insight and spiritual vision that God gives us, we then, the love that God has for us will become more and more real to us. Notice that love being expressed here. Jesus in verse 34, this is a couple verses that have great pathos, if you will. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, you can just, you can just feel the love and passion that Jesus had as he looked out over the city of Jerusalem and had great love for everyone individually that was in that great city. And then you see his heart's desire in verse 34 in the very middle when he says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as hens gather their chicks under their wings. The heart's desire of Jesus, our King, is to gather us all up and love on us and to gather us up and, and bring us as close to him as possible just like a hen gathers her chicks. When you and I live with this kind of insight into our king, into his kingdom, not only will purpose become real to us, but his passion for us will become 
real to us. We will, we will be able to sense the great love that Jesus Christ has for each and every one of us. But notice the heart of Jesus is breaking here at the end when he says, even though that was my desire, greater than any desire I could ever have, God created us with the ability to choose. And their choice, for the most part, the majority, generally speaking, was, he says, you would have none of it. And that broke the heart of Jesus. That those he loved so much were unwilling to be the objects of his love. And I just thought to myself, how many times, down through history, even since God created men and women in the first place, have so many of those he created been unwilling to be objects of his love, to not willing to be loved by God, the greatest love they could ever experience, and to say no to it because they're saying yes to other things that will never fulfill or satisfy like the love of God. No matter what love you're going after in your life, you'll never be loved like God. And you can go out into eternity without God, but you will never go out unloved. And, and the fact that Jesus even says you would have none of it spoke about the fact that it wasn't like God didn't love them. It wasn't like God didn't try to express or reach out to them. It was there, Jesus is expressing a very stubborn willfulness, saying, you just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't open up your heart to the greatest love that you could ever experience. You see, there's more than meets the eye to Jesus. And you and I have to, even as his followers, learn that, that like they did, he may have allowed himself to be treated the way he did. He may have went to the cross. He may have, you know, taken on all that he took on, but it wasn't because there was no recourse or that they were more powerful than he was. It was all part of God's purpose and plan. I love what Nicole reminded us of in her prayer at the end, how that, you know, God may not have caused this situation to happen, but God can use it to strengthen his people in a way that maybe we would have never chosen to be strengthened or purified or refined, but God can use it. And that's all part of connecting to our king and understanding both God's purpose, his purpose for us, his purpose in us, and his passion for us. Because again, the kingdom right now is invisible. That's why now, go back with me to verse 18. Because here, Jesus actually begins to tell them a little bit more about what his kingdom right now is like, this invisible present kingdom. And again, what he's really saying to his followers is, there's more than meets the eye, so don't judge things about my kingdom or in my kingdom by just what you can physically touch or see, or smell, or anything. Don't use just your physical human senses to try to figure out God or his kingdom. So Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? I'll give you two illustrations. To what should I compare it? It is like, first of all, a mustard seed, a very, very small seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, 
even to the point where the birds were able to nest in its branches. Started out very small, right? Very insignificant. What's this little seed? And that's the way the kingdom of God started on earth. It started out very small, but it's going to end up way bigger than you and I could ever imagine. From the productivity of this little seed, think of the incredible results from a little seed. And God is saying, that's the kingdom. So that's why God wants us to have insight to know there's no little people, no little places, no insignificant things when it comes to God. If you and I are connected with God, the ruler and creator and sustainer of the universe, then everything you and I do with him, for him, in him, and through him is significant. That there is no insignificance when it comes to us and God. Everything God does is significant. And Jesus saying, it may look like just a little band of believers right now, guys and gals, and yet here's the big Jewish religious system that's been in existence for thousands of years, and here's this big Roman Empire that's ruling the world right now, and it may look like we're nothing compared to that. Don't judge, Jesus says, by appearances. There's more than meets the eye. Think about that even today. Even today, with all of our modern technology and being able to maybe understand more and be in touch with more, I'm telling you, my friends, that through spiritual insight, there's way more going on on this earth right now, good and evil, than what you and I can physically see. And yes, Satan is working as well, but God is also working. And he's working in hearts. And, and, he, and he's working in, in many ways, sometimes underneath the surface and, and beyond what you and I can see in countries all over this world, people are coming to Christ right now. And Christians are being strengthened right now. And even in our own country, even in this season, do not judge what God is doing and how strong God is and what his kingdom is like based upon just what we can see and what we can hear. Because God is bigger than all that and greater than all that. That's why Jesus went on to say, let me tell you what else the kingdom of God is like. It, it's like this yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. In other words, she just took a little bit of yeast, and that's what started out in this big ball of dough. And yet she started to work at it, and all of a sudden, that little bit of yeast ended up permeating the dough, the entire batch. You see, God, and the way he works right now in his invisible kingdom, it's all about many times transformation that begins with that which is unseen. Now, eventually, we will have evidence and see the presence of God in things, but many times it starts out just like yeast and dough. I don't see it. But Jesus is saying, don't judge. There's always more to me and more to my kingdom than meets the eye. And God then is saying, I need my people to be people of insight, not just sight. I, I need them to, to connect with me on a spiritual level because you don't see me yet. And you don't see any evidence of my visible kingdom yet on this earth, yet I'm telling you it's as real as, as the platform I'm standing on right now. I'm building a kingdom, 
And the gates of hell, Jesus said, is not going to prevail against my kingdom on this earth. And one day it will be very visible, but right now it's not. But I need you to have insight. Otherwise, you're going to be disillusioned. Otherwise, you're going to fall into despair and discouragement. Because we're going to look around even as they would have in Luke's day, and we're going to see all these other things in life that are so much bigger, it seems, than what's really what's going on spiritually behind the scenes. You see, even going back a couple thousand years, there were maybe even many followers of Jesus then that thought the Roman Empire is always going to rule the world. Well, we know they were laid aside a long time ago. And Jesus wants his people to see even today that even the kingdoms of the world today, all the nations and all the leaders of these nations and all that, one day they're all going to be gone. But the kingdom of God will stand long after all the kingdoms of the earth are gone. Jesus wants us to understand it. That's why he says heaven and earth is going to pass away one day, but my word is not going to pass away. Invest your life. Follow me with purpose. Know that the, the thing that, that is real beyond anything that's temporary and physical, because as the Word of God says, what we can see is all temporal. It's material. It's physical. It will pass away. But what we can't see is eternal. And that's why the Bible calls us to live for the real things. And the real things aren't even the things that you and I can see with our physical eyes because one day they won't be here. What is really going to last are the eternal things, the things that are unseen, the things that are below the surface. Those are the things that's going to last one day. I want to give sort of a segue into this next point. The truth of Scripture is that we as human beings were never created solely for our present life. The present that you and I are living in right now, this moment that we have here on this earth, was never intended to fully satisfy us. God always made human beings for more than just this life. So if you and I are so attached and so wrapped up to just what's on earth right now and what we can see and touch and smell and all that, we're missing out because God created us for more than that. God said, I want you to be in touch with a kingdom that's going to outlast everything that you see around you, everything that you and I can touch. Everything that you and I can sense, there's way more to it than that. And if you and I are going to live for what really matters, that's going to outlast everything that we see, we've got to have that insight by staying connected to our king, who's right now a king of an invisible kingdom, more than meets the eye. So go back to the beginning of the chapter. Two questions Jesus is leaving with his followers then and his followers now. The first question is this. Are we ready to die? Now notice, this comes before what we've been talking about, but it was very strategically done so by our Lord because he wanted people to begin to think about more than this life because 
it should always be more than this life. Notice this passage of Scripture. I'm just going to read these five verses. There were some present who were following Jesus on that occasion who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. In other words, they were murdered by Pilate. And he answered them, Well, do you think that these Galileans who were murdered by Pilate were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? One of the things that Jesus wants to set straight is just because people suffer in this life, just because they may suffer a horrific death or be murdered, doesn't mean that they were bad people or that they were you know, greater sinners than others. You can't equate the two always. Now, sometimes... You and I make choices in our life and we bring our own pain upon us because of the bad choices we make. But in Jesus' day, there was sort of this blanket theology, if you will, that if you suffered in some way physically, it must be because you did something wrong, something to deserve it. And Jesus here is cutting that down, saying that's not true. But then notice what he says in verse 3. He says, but no, I tell you, Unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Do you notice something there? Jesus is presented with this story, true story, of a terrible murderous situation and how people died. But he doesn't take time to talk about the fact that they died or how they died. He simply said, Are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Because they maybe weren't expecting to go out into eternity. Are you? That was the thing Jesus wanted to get across. Why? Well, let's look at the other one first. Then he says to them, or how about those 18 people who were killed when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Total accident. They were just by this tower one day, The tower must have been unstable. The tower fell over and killed all 18 of them. It was terrible. And Jesus certainly isn't saying that these things aren't terrible. But it is very interesting to me that Jesus doesn't spend any time talking about the fact that people die or even how they die. Because for the most part, You and I don't get a choice as to how we leave this earth. But notice again what Jesus says. Were, first of all, they worse offenders or worse sinners than all others who live in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish as well, all of you. Are you ready to die? Why talk about this? Because Jesus is saying, if you really believe in me, the king of this kingdom that's going to outlast all other kingdoms on this earth, and you know the reality of death, it is an appointment that all of us have. The Bible says it is appointed unto us to die. And it's an appointment that no human being has ever been able to escape from. So that's one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time on the fact that people die. We are all going to die. We've got to come to grips with that. 
But Jesus also doesn't even spend a lot of time talking about how people die. Because again, we live, if we're willing to face the reality of it, we live in a cursed situation on this earth where there is sin and where death is going to to come to all of us at different seasons of our life, different times of our life, different ages. Everyone's going to die, but we don't know, are we going to die in our old age? Are we going to die very young? I've certainly done too many funerals of children over the years. Even one would have been too many. Death is no respecter of persons. It can take people that are physically healthy and those that have to suffer prolonged illnesses. It doesn't matter. But Jesus is saying what really matters is are you ready to die? Because there's something worse than dying, and that's perishing, Jesus says. And the word perish speaks about suffering terrible loss. And you think about what Jesus is saying is, The way we live our lives on this earth, we're either investing in things that one day really aren't going to matter or the things that really are, the things that last beyond this life because we were made for more than this life. And Jesus is saying, if you live for the temporal, material, earthly things, then you get to eternity. You're going to suffer great loss because you're going to be eternally separated from the things that you lived for that you thought really mattered. Jesus said, that's worse than death. Now, I think he's primarily speaking to those that maybe don't have a relationship with him in any way, but we could apply this principle to us as Christians because too often, even as God followers, we can begin to live for the here and now more than what's coming. And we can can begin to, to live our lives in such a way and even allow the fear of death and dying and all this to, to, to totally shrink the kind of life that God wants us to live so that now we, we get paralyzed by doing things and, 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 and fulfilling the purpose that God has for us out of fear and worry and anxiety and what if this and what if that and all this. And what ends up happening is then we really can't live because we're really not ready to die. You see, Jesus is saying those that really experience life to its fullest on earth are those that have settled that they're ready to die because they're going to live their lives for my kingdom that they can't even see yet, but that's going to be the reality of their life. Not not living for the things they can see, but living for what they can't see. Let me ask you a question this morning. It's the most important question any of us can ever answer. And that is, are you ready to die? Are you truly ready to die? Because if you're not, then that means you're really not ready to live. Jesus is saying there's something worse than dying. And that's perishing you too will all perish and suffer eternal loss because all the things that we clung to and that we lived for and that that were the priorities of our life 
We will be eternally separated from all those things. We're all going to die one day. Someday, someone's going to do our memorial service. Are you ready? Because, my friends, Jesus made us for way more than this life. This, this present life was never meant by God to fully satisfy. Oh, can it bring joy and, and happiness and, and fulfillment and satisfaction? Absolutely. But only within the Lord. Only within the Lord. And that's why then the next question begins in the passage in verse 6. And the next question is this. Are we bearing fruit? Because that's what it means to God that we are really alive and living on earth until we die. Are we bearing fruit? Because if, if the kingdom of Jesus is real to us, if, if that's the reality, even though we can't see it, if our king is the real deal, even though we can't see him, then we will live our lives every day to be fruitful, to bear much fruit, as Jesus says, so that his father can be glorified. Notice what he said. Verse 6, he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. I think the man is God. God has planted each of us in his vineyard. If, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, that means there was a time at some point in your life where God planted you in his vineyard. And God is saying here, guess what? As God, if you're in my vineyard, I'm looking for fruit. That, that's what I come, and, and, and the fact is, it's not a casual look. He's searching. It's not like he's just giving it a glimpse. He literally is going to come searching and seeking for fruit because that is the sign that we're really alive because the only way the Bible teaches you and I that we can be fruitful is by staying continually connected to our vine, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, John 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without staying connected to me, staying in fellowship with me, you can't bear fruit. But I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. It's clear. So then, notice verse 7. So he said to the worker who tended the vineyard, for three years now, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree. It reminds us of the patience of our God in looking and giving more chances than any of us deserve to try to find some fruit on our vine. But each time I inspect it, I find none. Cut it down. Why should it continue to deplete the soil? A couple things. First of all, the fig tree in God's vineyard occupies a specially favored position. We are given everything we need to be fruitful. None of us will ever leave this earth as a Christian, get to heaven, get before the Lord and say, Lord, you didn't give me what I needed to be a fruitful Christian to bear fruit. No. He planted us in his vineyard. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. 
We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We've been given His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. The Word of God, prayer, the ability to worship Him, our our church family, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been given more than enough to be fruitful. But here, unfruitful vines are simply taking up space. They're getting without giving, and they're, in a sense, depleting the soil of nutrients that others could have by just sitting there and not being fruitful. Notice the worker answered him and says, Sir, how about we leave it alone this year too? What? Give it another chance. In fact, I'll even dig around it and put fertilizer on it. I'll give it special care and attention. And then, after another year, If it bears fruit next year, very well. But if not, then you can lay it aside. There's much in this parable. But the one thing I want us to focus on here is this. Two questions Jesus asked his followers in this great chapter in the Gospel of Luke as they were following him. First, Are we ready to die? And second, are we bearing fruit? Because that's the sign of real life to the king who is building his kingdom. And Jesus saying to us, where's the fruit? And we can define fruit in several different ways as a Christian. Certainly we could define it as it's defined in Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit. The, the attitude of, of, of the Spirit's life in us. And that nothing wrong with that. We could define it as the influence and impact that we have on others, and in a sense, the fruit of their lives based on our influence and impact of them and either bringing them to Christ or strengthening them in their relationship with Christ. But I like to reduce it down even more. I like to define fruit as simply the visible evidence of God in us. Can others see God in us? Is the reality of his presence and power in our life, is it evident? Because the other things like the fruit of the Spirit and impacting and influence, they'll all take care of themselves if we are staying connected to our Jesus, the king of this invisible kingdom, and we are letting his life literally flow through us every day so that others can see God and and his reality in our lives. You see, we don't have to concentrate on the fruit, but simply staying connected to the vine, the one that gives us the life, the one that gives us the nutrients and the ability to be able to bear fruit, because the fruit will come, Jesus said, if we stay connected to him. And that's what it really means to be alive to God. Fruit. We're living in days, even within the church, where many of us sometimes go through our days, our weeks, our months, our years, simply trying to navigate living in a spiritual kingdom, but in a physical way. Somehow still trying to to work our way through a spiritual, invisible kingdom by using physical means. 
And then we wonder why the king isn't so real to us of this kingdom and why his kingdom isn't so real and why am I, I feeling disconnected to maybe the real purpose and even the passion that God has for me and, and why am I not seeing what other Christians are seeing? That it seems to be to them there's more than meets the eye here, both good and evil. And, and why can't I see below the surface and see into that as well? Why don't I have that insight? And God is saying because it only comes through insight. The things that are seen are temporary. The things that aren't seen are eternal. And God calls his servants to be so connected to him that we actually can see the unseen, including him. And that we can live for the unseen every day. You see, the things that really matter. And the only way we can do that, folks, is to get to a place in our life where instead of clinging to this brief physical earthly life, we let it go and we trust God. And we go, the most important thing isn't that I die, because we're all going to die. And the most important thing even to Jesus isn't really how we die, because sometimes there's going to be tragic deaths and unexpected deaths and all of that. It's been here since the fall. The real question in Jesus' mind is, am I ready to die? Because if not, I'm going to perish. And I'm going to suffer eternal loss by living for the things that really didn't matter. And what matters to God is, he says, now that I've planted you in my vineyard, I'm coming looking for fruit. Are we bearing fruit to the glory of God? That's the essence of being a servant of the Lord Jesus right now, the king who's the king of this invisible kingdom. Let's pray. God, thank you that, Lord, you make things real to us, that you make things evident to us that we can't see, including you. I can say I've never physically seen you with my eyes, but you're as real to me is again the platform I'm standing on. I know you're here. I sense you. You're tangible. I can see you ruling the universe in heaven. Your presence is here with us, God. And I pray that those at home feel your presence that strongly with them too. But God, you want us to carry that kind of sensitivity and reality spiritually with us every day so that we don't get caught up in the things that really don't matter, in the things that one day will be gone long after your kingdom is still standing. So God, may your servants today be like you, our king. Not live in fear, not be intimidated, not be bullied, not be undeterred, or be deterred, but be unflinching and dis undistracted by the purpose that you've called us to, God. Make us strong as we reach out to you and we connect with you, God, because we desperately need to stay connected to you, especially 
in these days of adversity and trial. God, we want you. We need you. Give us more of you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.